Welcome to Oaks Church, where we grow great lives and build big people. Thank you for checking out our podcast. We hope that you're encouraged by this life-changing message from Pastor Joel Scrivener. For more information, visit us online at oakschurch.com or follow us on social media at Oaks Church Texas. Uh, happy to be with you today. Our new series is called What's Next? Last week, we talked about specifically dealing with doubt and how doubt is a tool that the enemy uses for all of us to cause us to move away from faith. And if we don't uh, deal with doubt, the enemy will use that to propel us into a place of fear. And fear is something that will destroy our faith. It takes faith to please God. And the type of faith it takes is faith that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So we've got to move through that and understand that doubt is something that we all will deal with, but God will help us with doubt. He'll help us with our unbelief and move us forward. Today, we're going to talk about fear, specifically a certain type of fear. But I want to take just a minute because as I begin to research and look at some of these different things, there are lots of different fears that are extremely popular to mankind. Not that you choose and you want to pick a popular fear, but anybody spiders, fear spiders? I'm not afraid of spiders. It's spider webs that freak me out. Have you ever walked into a spider web and you're just like, ah! Right, you just freak out because you know there must be a spider there. It's all over your face, and that's what freaks me out the most. How about snakes? Anybody? I had a friend that like for real snake phobia. Like we were in a like on a five story uh, fifth fifth floor of an apartment or of a of a hotel, and we had a fake snake, and he almost jumped off the balcony five stories. Literally, I mean for real, terrified of snakes. How about heights? Anybody heights? A little freaky out just a little bit. Closed in spaces. That's a freaky one, right? Closed in spaces can freak some people out. There are things that we deal with. Phobias are very real and we deal with them. Now, one thing that's interesting, I won't mention your Dave. I'm sorry. That, that wouldn't be politically correct. Uh, anyway, but there, oh my God, ask him afterwards. Uh, anyway, so there, there are things that, that happen uh, in life that cause us to fear, but, but according to the scriptures, fear is actually a spirit, Fear is a spirit that the enemy sends to provoke us and to paralyze us and keep us from accomplishing what God wants us to accomplish. So when I begin to really look into this, and the Lord spoke to me about this, the type of fear that we're going to address today is one of the top 10, it's literally in the top three fears that will cause you to, to not be able to fulfill what God wants you to fulfill in your life, and it's the fear of failure. Failure is a powerful force that propels us away from God because of the experiences of our past. And if we're not careful, that we can be so afraid to step out and try something new that we never step into what God has for us. Maybe you had a failed relationship, could have had a failed marriage in the past. Maybe a failed business or an idea that you were really excited to use uh, and step into, and the, the, the whole thing just crumbled before you. Listen, I have failed so many times in life. I, I have failed as a husband. I failed as a parent. You ever had any parents, you have one of those moments, and you just, I mean, worst parent of the year moments. I, I mean, I have failed as a parent. You know, I failed as a businessman. I, I failed as an investor. One of my most recent, and this is a number of years ago now, but I... I thought that I was getting so good at, at investing online that I could be a day trader. Anybody ever tried being a day trader? It's a wonderful decision for an amateur. Great move. I, I was so confident. I got cocky, and I was so confident, and I was doing so well, man. I mean, I was managing my own little portfolio. And I had all my managed, you know, like 90% of my investment was in was safe and was someone that was a professional, but I had 10% of my, my egg that I was doing on my own, and, man, I was getting good, man. And I, I, I mean, I made 35% one year. That was, like, more than double what the professional did. And the next year, I made 55%. I had a, a friend that was a stockbroker, and he was giving me all these tips and telling me what to do and, and what, where to sell them at or how, what prices to buy and sell. And I mean, I was getting good. And then I got so good, I started making my own decisions, and I thought I could be a day trader, and, uh, and I lost it all. It was awesome. And, it, and it, was, it was, what was really great is that when I was losing it, I then had one of those, and, and 
I'm not a gambler. Well, I was, the, I was in this, right? But, but I, I'm not a Vegas gambler type of guy, you know, or whatever, you know, pull a slot machine, who cares? I'm not, you know, whatever. But I got so hooked. I took money and put it, because I, 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 could, I, could, I could get it back, right? And then next thing you know, I, I lost the money that I had to pay cash for my car. And, and it was a major blooper that my wife almost murdered me over, but praise God for grace. Thank you, baby, for allowing me to live. And we came back, and it was, again, come on, it's just 10% of my portfolio. I mean, no, it was a major mistake. I was dealing with anxiety and fear, and it was horrific. And, and realistically, I mean, it, was not, it wasn't a huge amount of money, but it was a huge amount of money to me, and especially to her. And, and it was one of these things that was just one of those crazy deals where I was dealing with so much fear and anxiety and stress and depression because of the failure that I had, and to this day, I only allow professionals to manage my stuff, and that's probably for the best. But the reality is you may be in a place where there's something God wants you to step into, but because of your past, you're so focused on the failure that you won't take the risk that God wants you to take to step into what he has for you. He might have an amazing friend and your future. They could be in this church, but because of how someone else broke your heart, betrayed your confidence, you might erect these massive walls around your heart. And like I did at one point in my life, say, I'll never let that happen to me again. Maybe it's a, a, a business venture or something or a ministry opportunity or something to create or a book that you're supposed to write, something that God has for you that if you're not careful, the fear of failure and the focus on your past can keep you from stepping in to what God has for you. There's a verse in scripture, Proverbs 24, verse 16 says, for though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. Righteous, the righteous are not defined by how many times we fall, but how many times we get up. That's a good word. You're not going to not fall in life, but you're going to be people that get up. You're going to be people that move forward, that dust yourself off and try again. That's what the scriptures describe as people of righteousness. See, if you're righteous because of how good you do, then Jesus didn't need to die for you. You're righteous because of your faith in him that no matter what, you get up again and you follow again and you step out again. We can't live our life where we're so focused on the past that the enemy can keep us from stepping into something new. I wanna take you to a place in scripture in the book of John. This is a time when Jesus' disciples were so focused on their past and specifically on their failure that they were not able for a time to step in to what God had for them. And Jesus had already raised from the dead. Jesus had already appeared to them two times, but they're focused on failure and focus on the past had caused them to do what any of us who grew up in church we would call backsliding. Are you familiar with the word backsliding? I was a professional backslider, man. I could, I was a, I mean, I was good at backsliding and I could come in Sundays and man, I could worship. And then Monday I'm like, mm, now it's time. And you can have a whole different life you live, right? Monday through Saturday and then Sunday again. Who Jesus, come on, professional backslider. Live like hell in the week and heaven on the weekend, but just for three hours, right? I mean, come on. Long service times back then. It's important that we understand that even the best failed Jesus. Even the best, the hand-picked ones that knew him personally failed him, betrayed him, walked away from him. Peter, the, 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 the ringleader, Jesus told him ahead of time, hey, you're going to blow it. Uh, not me. Not me. They may all fall away, all the other disciples, but not, not the rock. Not Dwayne Johnson of the disciples. No, I'm, I'm going to, can you, never mind, I'm not going <laughs> to. Peter was cocky. If all of them fall away, Jesus, not me. But then Peter found himself terrified. Jesus had been taken captive. He cut a dude's ear off to protect him. Jesus told him, don't do that. That's not how this goes down. 
healed the guy right in front of him. They take Jesus. They're beating him. He's watching it. He trails. He follows. He's thinking, maybe there's a chance I can help him. But they're, he's watching Jesus. And all of a sudden, people start saying, hey, 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 aren't you, aren't you with him? No, 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 not me. Not me. No, no, no. You've, you're mistaken. Three times Jesus told him, you'll deny me before the rooster crows in the morning. And three times, on the third time, one of the Gospels records that as Peter, he's cursing now. He's cussing a lady out, denying that he's ever even met Jesus. And in the instant of that moment, he turns, and there's Jesus being led. And he sees, and Jesus locks eyes with him. And the shame, the guilt, Jesus, J- Jesus looks him in the eyes, and I believe it was a look of love. Not a look of, I told you so. Not a look of, how could you? But it was a look of love and compassion because he knew the weakness of mankind. And in that moment, it was prophesied for hundreds of years that all of them would betray him and walk away. Jesus took all of the betrayal for all of mankind so that you can be accepted so that you can be received. He took all of the rejection of all of mankind so that you can be accepted and you can be received. Here's the story, John chapter 21. Jesus has appeared to them twice after the resurrection and they're still having a extremely tough time believing. It says that Simon Peter then said to them in verse three, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we are going with you also. When Jesus met Peter, when he called Peter, Peter was fishing. Peter had been fishing all night. Jesus gets on his boat because the crowds are so intense. He says, push out just a little bit, Peter. Simon was his name, actually. And I'm going to talk to them from here. Jesus created some separation because people were trying to push in to crush him because they wanted to touch him. And Jesus preached to them from the boat. And when he would finish, Simon's over there cleaning his nets. He's done. He's frustrated. He'd been fishing all night. And Jesus said, hey, throw your nets out on the other side. And Jesus is, uh, is what he says to Peter. And Peter's like, uh, listen, preacher, it's cute and all. You're the preacher. I'm the fisherman. This is what I do for a living. Don't get inside of my kitchen, Manny. This is what I do, right? And, and, and so he literally is saying, I'm not going to do this. But you know what? Since you're the teacher, I'll, I'll humor you and I'll throw my net in. And instantly after fishing all night, catching nothing, they catch a fish that was so big that it began to, a catch that was so big, it began to sink the boats. They had to call for help. And on that day, Peter dropped his nets, said, I'm following you. And Jesus said to him, come follow me. I'm going to teach you how to fish for men. You're not fishing for fish anymore, buddy. I'm going to teach you why I allowed you in that profession. I'm going to teach you why you've had this profession your whole life. You grew up in this fishing family so I can teach you how to translate your past into a future victory for someone else. It's a beautiful thing. I don't know what journey you've been on. I don't know what road that you've walked, but the things you've been through in your past have all been adding up. They're all culminating together for a beautiful future that God has for you to be used for him. Peter dropped his nets that day. It's the last time that he fished, except for when Jesus told him, hey, go throw a hook in, catch that fish because there's a gold coin in his mouth and you can go pay both of our taxes. It's the only other time we see Jesus or Peter fishing until this moment. He's so down. He's so focused on his past, so focused on his failure. He says to the other guys, look, man, I don't know what to do. I mean, he appeared to us. Is it, was it real? I think it was real. It was crazy. Yeah, we saw him. We touched him. He, he ate with us. I, I mean, but, but man, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what's next. I'm going fishing. We're going with you. They went out immediately, got in the boat, and that night they caught nothing, 100% fruitless again. They're frustrated. They're, str- they're stressed. They're, they're ticked off. But when morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, when Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea, began to swim ashore. Now, now let me ask you this question. 
if you're going to jump in and swim 100 yards, do you take off your cloak or do you put it on? You take off your cloak to, put it, to swim. N- nobody here, if you're going to swim 100 yards, puts on more heavy clothing before you swim. But because of the shame of Peter, he wanted to cover himself before Jesus. It's the same picture that we see in the book of Genesis when Adam and Eve fell. And all of a sudden we're aware of their nakedness and their shame. And they covered themselves with leaves to create clothing. It's the cycle of death that happens when you move from faith into doubt and fear. It results in shame and guilt. And Peter is, is literally, he's, so, he's in such a place of devastation like, like David in Psalms 50, 51, where David is now in full revelation of his wicked sin when he not just had an affair with Bathsheba, but got her pregnant. And then to cover his sin, he sends her husband out. First, he gets him drunk to try to get, brings him off the front lines, gets him drunk to, to make sure that he could go uh, be with his wife and, and, and cover up uh, the sin that he had. But the guy's so honorable that he won't go in and be with his wife while his men are out on the warfare battle. He won't go in. And so David has to come up with a scheme to send him out to the front lines and then pull back the other men so that, so that he dies, so that Uriah dies in battle. He plans a strategic assassination of Uriah to cover up his own sin. And when the prophet Nathan came to him and said, look what you've done, you are that man who coveted someone else's, even though you had all that you could possibly imagine. You're that man. And the sin was so great that he wrote Psalm 51. And in that passage, he says, my sins are ever before my face. David is weeping over his sin. He can't possibly get over his sin. He literally is begging God in Psalms 51. Please, Father, do not withdraw your spirit from me. I don't know if you've ever messed up so bad that you thought God was done with you, but I have. I don't know if you've ever failed so miserably that you thought you'd ruined everything David had. And God met him right where he was. And that's where Peter is in this moment. He covers his shame. He jumps and he swims ashore. And there was so much of catch that they were not able to draw in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple says, it is the Lord. He puts on his clothes. He plunges in the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far off of land, but only about 200 cubits, or about 100 yards, dragging the net with the fish. And then as soon as they'd come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and the bread uh, as well. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. Simon went and dragged up the net to land, full of large fish. Watch this, 153. Scholars say that 153 large fish was what was in the net. Scholars say that those 153 fish actually equal the number of individual miracles that Jesus did when you add them all up in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The same number of individual miracles were, were, uh, that are recorded in the gospel is the number of fish that's inside of this miraculous catch. I love that in the midst of their shame, in the midst of their backslidden place, Jesus makes them breakfast. The book of Revelation chapter 3 says he stands at the door of your, ni- of your life and he knocks. And anyone that is willing to open the door can come in and dine with him. Jesus wants to invite you in to communion with him even in the midst of your sin. This flies in the face of of religion. It flies in the face of of self-righteousness. When you deserve it the least, he died for you. He paid the price for you. He comes ashore and Simon Peter drags up the net full of fish, 153, and although there were so many, the net wasn't broken. They were blessed in the midst of their rebellion. Jesus said, come and eat breakfast, yet none of the disciples dared to ask, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. He fed them, he cooked and baked them breakfast, and he fed them, he met them right where they were. But the story doesn't stop there. From there, it literally says after breakfast that, that he took Simon, son of Jonah, he says to him, do you love me more than these? All of a sudden now, if it wasn't painful enough, if he wasn't shamed enough, Jesus pulls Simon aside. John, the youngest, is now following, listening in, and recording this story. But Jesus begins a private conversation with John. 
with Peter, do you love me more than all of these? Now, scholars are divided on what he meant. Did he mean the fish? You've gone back fishing? Do you really love me more than all of these? Than your old lifestyle, than your old way? Do you really, do you love me more than how you used to do life? Or was he referencing Peter's denial and his brazen arrogance to Jesus when he said, even if all of these turn and depart and betray you, I never will. Because I really love you, Jesus. And now Peter is face to face with the reality. Jesus is asking the question. He uses the word agape. Do you love me like God loves? Agape is the Greek word for the for the God type of love. Do you really love me more than all of these? Peter is broken. Jesus is forcing Peter to face his failure. Why? Because there's a lesson hidden in every loss. He's forcing Peter to face his failure. Three times he asks him, he asks him again, Peter, do you really love me? Peter is breaking. He's brokenhearted over this. Yes, Jesus, of course I love you. The third time he asks, Jesus doesn't use. There's a, hidden, there's, a, there's, a, there's a hidden deeper dig inside of this moment. Because the first two times Jesus uses the word, it's translated agape. Do you love like God loves? The third time Jesus uses the word phileo, which is where we get Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love that doesn't feel very brotherly when you're there. Phileo means, do you love me like a friend? Jesus on the third time says, Peter, do you even love me like a buddy? Peter's broken at this moment. Jesus, come on, man. Come on, man. You know I love you. Feed my sheep. He then tells Peter, listen, I'm gonna, now I'm going to prophesy how much I know you love me. Right now you're young and you get to stretch out your arms and you put clothes on yourself and you go wherever you feel like you want to go. But there's a day coming when you'll be old and they will stretch out your hands and they'll take you where you don't want to go. He was speaking of Peter's death and Peter, historians uh, record, died crucified just like Jesus except and if you read Fox's book of martyrs the story is incredible they came to take Peter and Peter had actually escaped and left the village and as he was leaving the village according to Fox's book of martyrs beautiful historical uh, documentation of, of how many different people died so that you can hear the message in the story of Jesus Christ every single one of Jesus's followers died for their faith in the early days as Peter's leaving, according to the Fox's Book of Martyrs, he sees Jesus. This is years later. Decades later, he's leaving town. He watches Jesus coming back into town. He says, Jesus, where are you going? And, G and Peter hears Jesus say to him, I'm going to be crucified a second time. And it convicts Peter so much that he turns and he follows Jesus back in, turns himself in, and they take him and they crucify him. But because he was unworthy to die like his Lord, he asked that they crucify him upside down. And that's the historical record of how Jesus, of how Peter died in honor of Jesus. But here's the story. In this passage, in order for Peter to move beyond, he has to be willing to face his failures. Listen, there's a lesson in every failure. There's something that you have to learn from every loss because there's a gift that you'll be given that you can share with others. My big question to you today is simply this. Are you frozen in fear? Are your failures so before your face? Maybe, as I mentioned before, a relationship or a business or a work or, or a situation or financial. Are your fears before your face? Are you frozen in your fear? Because if you are, we've got to get past that. Fear is a spirit I mentioned earlier that we're not called to live by. Scriptures declare that God has not given you a spirit of fear, but he gave you a spirit of power, love, and soundness of mind is recorded in the, book, in the first book of Timothy. A spirit of power, love, and soundness of mind. We can't live our lives fearing Failure. We have to learn to anticipate failure and plan around it. 
See, the way I grew up in, in Oklahoma, and I grew up in a very powerful faith family. I love my parents. They did a fantastic job raising me. But the culture there in, in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, was a hyper-faith culture. And I remember being taught and told things about faith, that, that if you have any doubt, if you, once you've prayed, you're not supposed to ever bring it up again. Because if you mention it again or bring it up again, then what you just did there is you dug up your faith seed right there. And your faith is supposed to be like a mustard seed. You leave it in the ground, you stamp on it, put some water on it, and never mention it again. You, you dug up your seat. Now that prayer ain't going to be answered. And I lived in this fear of moving. You didn't understand my Oklahoma accent. You understand? I lived in this fear of now ruining my faith. And I'm double-minded because did, what I just said, did, now, now I'm in doubt and I'm all this. And the reality is that God is not that petty. See, one of the greatest stories of faith in the Old Testament is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember those guys? And, and they literally were in Babylon. They were taken captive. They were enslaved, potentially made eunuchs. It's a bad day. And now they're forced to worship King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon or die. And they stood up to the king and they said, listen, king, no offense, but we're not going to bow down to you because we only bow down to our God. King says, if you don't bow, I'm going to throw you in that furnace. Every little kid that grew up in church knows all about the fiery furnace. I'm going to throw you in that furnace and burn you up in front of everyone. And they said, listen, King, we can't bow. We won't bow. We believe that God is able, watch this, and that he will deliver us. He's able to deliver us. We believe that he is, and he will deliver us. We believe that he's good. That's the secret of faith. And watch this. And even if he doesn't, <gasps> that's not faith. No, it actually is faith. They believe for the best. They declare the best. But they also make a plan for the worst. This is wisdom. Even if he doesn't, guess what? Here's our plan, king. You ready for it? We'll still never bow. Even if we die a horrible death for you, we'll never doubt. They had a plan B if Jesus didn't show up. But guess what? Jesus showed up. They took three men. They, they fired the flames seven times hotter. The king was enraged. They throw them into the fire. They close the door, and they're looking into this furnace, and they're seeing in the furnace the shape of the three they'd thrown in. But now they're kind of dancing around and they're having a good time in there. I don't know what they're doing, playing, they're doing the Macarena. I don't know what's going on in there. But now there's a fourth person in there with them. They see the image of a fourth person in them and they describe it appears like it's the Son of Man. It was Jesus, before he was born of a virgin, comes and meets with his children in the fire. And they bring them back out of the fire and not a hair was singed. Come on, I about got my face burnt off uh, trying to light a, a barbecue grill last summer and lost all the hair on my arms. And I was just trying to, you know, get, some, get a little fire lit. These people are in the fire dancing around, not a single hair singed, not a single thread of their clothes singed. And they don't even smell like smoke. The king's blown away. All of a sudden, he makes a royal edict that from now on, there's only one God and it ain't me. It's their God. And in Babylon, it was illegal to worship any other God except for the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Come on. That's faith that, that, that believes the best, declares the best, but is mature enough to know that sometimes bad things happen in life. And even when they do, we'll still believe and we'll never bow. That's real faith. That's real faith. We've got to make a plan. Uh, I, I love the wisdom of uh, one of the greatest boxers of all time. He's, pretty, he's kind of a psychopath now, but Iron Mike Tyson said something so spiritual once. He said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. M-A-W-F. Mouth. <laughs> He actually said it with a much higher voice. I can't, I can't do his voice. But, but listen, for, for me as an athlete, training, working, I, I was a soccer player growing up. I love soccer. Um, for the first probably four or five years of my soccer career as a kid, I was a goalie. I don't know why they put me in goal. If you haven't noticed, I'm not that tall. 
but they put me in goal. I think it was because I was gutsy. I wasn't afraid of the ball. And, and, and it, it was tough. It was hard to be the goalie and be short. And, and it didn't matter how everybody else played. If the ball went in the net, it's your fault and everyone's looking at you. Way to go, Joel. Thanks a lot, buddy. And, and it was this, it was constant. Anytime we were playing a, a, a bad team, I had a great day. Playing a good team, you could have a really bad day real quick. I remember playing a team one time. They scored 11 times on me. Except for the time they didn't. And it's because it hit me in the face and bloodied my nose. It's a bad day, right? But that day, listen, that day as a 10-year-old little kid or whatever, my dad runs out there like, you don't have to play anymore. Come off. I'm like, play anymore? What are you talking about? I saved that one. <laughs> and and I, I'm, ready, I'm ready to keep playing now. I'm bleeding all over my white jersey, but I, I'm playing now, right? Well, there was a tenacity that was developed in me that I didn't understand why I had it as a child. But when I moved into the uh, field of martial arts and became a fighter and later would go on and have a, a career as a, as a fighter, I had to learn to not fear getting hit. See, again, a short guy in the ring. Come here, Obi. Jump up here real quick, man. There you go. Let me help you up here, uh, Tiny. Come up here, Tiny. Here we go. All right. I fought dudes like this, right? Put your hand, put your, put your fist out. Like, you're gonna put, gonna stick it all the way through. Okay. All right. You, you, watch this. Do you, you see the problem here? For me to be a fighter, I had to make a decision. If I get hit, it's not a question. I will always get hit first when I fight the taller guy. What I had to decide, and for the first 12 years of my career, there were no weight classes. So I was fighting tall guys all the time. When I finally moved into the international style, I'm finally fighting people my weight, and I got to be big sometimes, right? But, I, but then I would just eat people for lunch, right? And just, it was horrible. But I'm used to fighting dudes like this that are 10 pounds, 20 pounds, 30 pounds heavier than me. No weight classes. And they're six, eight inches taller than me. And they're hitting me first. And I had to make a decision. I'm not going to be afraid of getting hit because if I am, I will never experience the joy of plowing this dude right in the mouth. <laughs> Messing up his plans for the day. Right? And it's, thank you, my friend. I've never hit Obi before, but I, I thought about it once. Um, just kidding. But we've got it. We can't fear failure. We have to understand that failure is a part of our future. It, it happens, and we plan around it. As I mentioned last week, that it was the loss of my daughter that changed this for me. I never had faith like that into real life until I lost my daughter to brain cancer, and I didn't have a plan B, and it was devastating to my life. And now what the Lord taught me, the lesson from that is that I can have real faith and still acknowledge that there's bad stuff going on in my life, but I have real faith. I'm believing that he's good. I'm believing that he is, and, and he's going to deliver me. But even if he doesn't, guess what, baby? I will never, ever bow. That's the kind of faith that pleases him. Can I tell you some really good news? That God factored in your failure. There's not a single time you've blown it, not a single time you failed that surprised God. He didn't say, oh my, I never saw that coming. What a moron. I, I mean, some of you have kids or that, are, you know, there's, there maybe have been a couple times that Brennan has shocked his parents with his honoriness. Maybe, probably not. But he's never shocked God because God made him and God knew his failure. God knew his weakness. God actually, when he formed him, Every single one of us, he formed us, and we have imperfections inside of us, imperfections in our personalities, imperfections in the way we think. We're humans. Only God is perfect. Jesus actually said, there's no one good but God. So Jesus said. And God planned around our failure. It says in Scripture that he's the potter, we're the clay. There's no such thing as perfect clay. And when they take clay, watch this. They take clay and they form it and they do whatever pottery people do. And then once it's formed, what do they do with it? They stick it in the fire. And the fire dries it out. And guess what? The fire actually reveals its flaws. It cracks it. It reveals imperfections. And then when the flaws are revealed by the fire, they pull it back out. And what do they do it next? They seal it. They glaze it. The scripture calls the Holy Spirit... The seal of your inheritance. 
He's the covering of your flaws. <laughs> Jesus foresaw your flaws. And he factored them in. He factored in your failure. Watch this verse. This is Luke chapter 22, verse 31. This is the moment where Jesus was telling Simon that he was going to fail. Remember the moment earlier I mentioned, Simon's like, N -n -n, not me, buddy. If all of these, if they fail, that's on them, but not me. Watch this moment. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you. That is a terrifying statement. I hope Satan never asks for me. You know, send the little wimpy demons my way. I don't want, I don't want to see Satan asking. Another translation says, Satan has asked to have you. That's what it says. Watch this. That he may sift you as wheat. Now, that's hard for us to get a visual of what that's like, especially in our modern-day agriculture. We have tractors that, that run, and they, they harvest, they cut the wheat, they cycle it, they do, and they sift it for us. But in the old days, and maybe this is where uh, Lucifer or Satan got the imagery of having a pitchfork. Because there's nowhere in Scripture that says that he has pointy horns and a pointy tail and a pitchfork, but that's how he's been drawn. But this illustration says Satan wants to sift you as wheat. What that means is that in this age, he wants to take that pitchfork and he wants to jam it into you while you're already down and on the ground and he wants to fling you into the air over and over and over and allow the wind to have its way with you and toss you and let make you, and this is what Jesus is giving the imagery. Satan wants to throw you on your head over and over and over, Peter. And then Jesus doesn't say what we want him to say. Because what we want him to say is, but, but I'm not going to let him, Randy. That's what we want Jesus to say. Satan wants to have you. He wants to pitch you over and under your head again and again and again. He wants life to have its way with you. He wants to destroy you completely, but I'm not going to let that happen. I'm not going to allow him to have access to you. That's what we want Jesus to say. But that's not what he says. He says to Peter, but I'm praying for you. Thanks, Jesus. Thanks a lot. I'm praying for you. I had a pastor one time, great godly man. I had a situation I brought to him. I was so frustrated with this person that was in our, in our, on, our, on my staff, worked for me. Oh my God, this guy drove me nuts. Drove me nuts. And I'm like, we need to do something, and this and that, and blah, 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 blah. And, and I was just getting, in this pastor, he literally says, you know what, you're right. Yeah, I'm right. You're right. We're going to do something right now. Yeah, we're going to do something right now. You're going to fire him. Let's go. He goes, let's do it right now. I said, let's do it. He goes, Father, in the name of Jesus. I said, no. No. Stylery stopped. I said, no. I want you to do You can do. You're Gordon Banks. You can do anything. Just do the Kung Fu Panda skadoosh thing and make this thing happen. That's what we want Jesus to do for us. But the guy prayed, and the whole situation changed, and the guy was moved out from my team. And I'm like, that's pretty good. I want to kill him. He's, I want to skadoosh him. See, we want Jesus just to deal with things. But Jesus says, Satan wants to have you. He wants to sift you like wheat. He wants to destroy your life. But I prayed for you. I prayed for you. And watch this. Watch what he says that your faith should not fail. See, it's not about what we go through. It's not about this, this, this perfect experience. Oh my gosh, as parents, we don't want our kids to go through anything. We already went, we went through it. We don't want our kids to go through it. I don't want my kids to suffer. We do everything we can to protect our kids and, pro and provide for our kids and guard our kids. But the reality is there's stuff in our kids' future that Jesus has already prayed for. And they're going to go through it, and we can't stop it. And we've all watched somebody who kept rescuing and rescuing and rescuing, and that kid was more and more and more entitled and never learned and destroyed their life. And Jesus said, I'm not going to allow you to be ruined. I'm going to pray for you that your faith won't fail. Why? Because it's faith that pleases God. 
It's the product of our faith. Jesus knows what will happen in your life when you endure the hell that's released upon you at certain times and phases and what he's going to perfect in you. He's the author and the finisher of your faith. And we've got to trust Jesus through the trial. Why? Because there's a lesson in every loss. Watch this. I pray that your faith won't fail. Watch this. Now, he prophesied his, his, his betrayal, but now watch him prophesy. And when you have returned to me. Jesus didn't just foresee the failure. He saw the return. He declared the return. When you've returned to me, watch, strengthen your brothers. There's a lesson in that loss. Jesus knew you'd be back. He knew you'd come back. We've got to learn the lesson. God's grace is sufficient for you. You can make it through every storm. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He's with you in the fire. And he allows us to go through things to build our faith for the next battle that we have in the future. And he's with us in the middle of it. I want to give you a couple of very practical things before we close. The number one thing is simply this. Focus on your future. If you keep focusing on the past, you'll be stuck. You'll stay in that place of fear and regret and remorse. But if you can shift and begin to focus on your future, just as he says, as the scriptures say in Philippians 3, 13, it says, brethren, Paul is writing, I do not count myself as having apprehended it, but one thing I do, I forget those things which are behind me and I reach forward to things which are ahead of me. I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I want to show you an image of a, of a windshield here. Someone mentioned this to me last week or before. And when you're looking out the front of your car, there, there are two views that you can see. And they're both important. But one of them needs to be focused on. If you focus on the little bitty rear, and interesting that the rear view mirror is much smaller than the windshield. It's a good thing. Because at 75 miles an hour on 635, it's way more important what's in front of you than what's behind you. Do we need to glance and look and check mirrors and whatever? Yeah, you glance. Why? Because you learn lessons from past things. But if you focus on your past, instead of focusing on your future, you can find yourself in big trouble. As I sat on my patio last night, just sitting out there with my journal, and I was asking God specifically, Father, what do you want to say to your children? It's never about what I want to say. It's never about what I think you should learn or what I think you should hear. It's always about what the father wants to say to his kids. You're his kids, not mine. And this is what he said to me. He said, Joel, tell them don't be afraid of failure. I already planned around it. I factored it into the equation. Tell them instead to dream big dreams. Make big plans. Take big steps. Make big moves. Give me something to work with. He reminded me of a story. It's a story of a, a young man that grew up in Oklahoma. He was a Native American. He was a minority group. Impoverished. Not much to look at. Actually sickly with tuberculosis and on his deathbed. 17 years old, he had an experience. And he records the experience. He literally saw Jesus walk into the room. And Jesus said to him, I'm going to heal you. I'm going to turn this whole thing around because I have a mission for your life. And I'm going to use you to bring a message of healing to the world. And this young boy was healed. Graduated high school. He went to Bible college. Graduated Bible college. Went to another. Got another higher level degree. And he took his first pastorate in a little town in Shawnee, Oklahoma. There was a family that was in that church. A little Pentecostal holiness church. And the, the family, the name of the family was the Scriveners. It's my grandparents. My grandpa's name was B.B. B.B. Scrivener. He was an accountant in Shawnee, Oklahoma. There's a little boy who lived in that house, an only child. His name was Kenneth. It's my dad. Kenneth had polio. No cure for polio. Just immunizations. And, and, and if any of you that knew people from that era, people were marred and scarred and, and, and had shriveled limbs and whatever. And my dad had polio. And one day this small town preacher would come over every single week because apparently my grandma, and I met this gentleman later in life, 
he told me and, and his wife, when, when they found out who I was, they said, oh my goodness, where's Kenneth at? They knew my parents, they knew my dad. And, and, and this gentleman said, your grandma made the best baked beans I've ever eaten in my entire life. One day at dinner on a Monday afternoon, my dad, little Kenneth, was in the room and this gentleman reached over and laid his hands on my dad and prayed for him. And my dad was completely healed of polio. No side effects whatsoever. A beautiful story. Well, this guy didn't stay in Shawnee. A year or so later, he had an opportunity and he launched a, a global ministry. His name's Oral Roberts. There's a college named after him that he founded. Small town, nobody who dreamed big dreams, make big plans. At one point, his ministry was, their ministry revenue was $120 million a year. That was in the 80s. Multiply that by seven or eight. It's a, a potentially be a billion dollar ministry in nowadays and did ministry all over the world, and none of it was for his own gain. None of it was for, for his own gain. He lived by faith his entire life, built a, a, changed the city, built a landmark in the city right across from Oral Roberts University called the City of Faith, was one of the very first people to pioneer a new intersection of faith and medicine and literally created, a, the city of faith was a tower that was a hospital, 99 stories tall, and the entire thing was built to integrate prayer of faith for healing and modern scientific uh, medicine. Beautiful, incredible thing that, that he did with his life. I remember I've read a number of his books. In one of the books, there's a picture of him, and sitting on his desk, I saw an image of a plaque that I'll never forget ever again in my life. It literally said on the front of his desk, it said, make no small plans here. Make no small plans here. God doesn't want you dreaming little dreams, making small plans. God wants you to swing for the fences. God wants you to believe in how big he is and what he can do in your life and how he can move you to exceed and to excel anything you could ever wrap your brain around. It says that he is able to do immeasurably, abundantly above anything you could ever ask, think, or imagine according to the power that is already at work inside of you. We've got to dream big dreams, make big plans. Scripture says that the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. That, that phrase, that word ordered of the Lord, it literally means that as you're stepping out onto nothing, that he forms something underneath your foot. See, if we're so, if we have to see every light go green before we go, we'll never go. Faith, this is what Oral Roberts said, when you can see the invisible, then you can do the impossible. So many times we gotta be willing to step out onto something that doesn't even look like it's there. Doesn't even look like it's there. Guys, guess what? That's how we all got in this room right here, is stepping out onto something that doesn't look like it's there. And then all of a sudden, God, orders your step. He forms something that your foot lands on that you couldn't even see. You just believed. Amen? We got to learn from our losses. Don't dwell on your losses. Learn from them. Move on. Keep, keep moving forward. Be a finisher. Be someone that finishes what they start. That's a decision. That's a discipline. I'm not going to quit. Thomas Edison said this. He said, many of life's failures are people who did not realize how close they were to success when they gave up. He's the same guy that obviously invented the light bulb, incandescent light, uh, the phonograph, the, the video camera, or motion picture. He invented all that stuff. He said, I never failed once. He said, I just learned 10,000 ways it wouldn't work. He embraced failure, faced failure, learned from it, moved on. The final thing is this, fix your eyes on Jesus. In the midst of every storm, fix your eyes on Jesus. Keep focusing on Jesus, who he's made you to be, what he's called you to do, where he's called you to do it. You can't fail with Jesus. With Jesus, if you just don't quit, you win. Quitting is the number one way to guarantee failure. But if you don't quit with Jesus, you win. Amen? Let me pray for you. 
I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know if you're uh, stuck in a place that you've been dwelling on, living in fear, dwelling on failure or something that, that could come to pass that's unforeseen at this point. But God does not want you living in that state. He does not want you dwelling in a place of fear. That's why he's given you a powerful spirit, the spirit of power, love, and soundness of mind. It's his own spirit that he's released to live inside of you. Next week is Mother's Day, and we're going to speak about the spirit of the living God that lives inside of you. It's going to be powerful. You do not want to miss next week. But right now, I want to describe this spirit that God said is not a spirit of fear. It's a spirit of power, of love, and soundness of mind. And I'm going to pray that over you right now. If you would just lift up your hands and open your heart. I want you to pray this with me. Say, Father, I will not obsess over failure or live in fear. You have not given me a spirit of fear. You've given me a spirit of power, a spirit of love. Love casts out fear and a soundness of mind, a singleness of mind, a focus. I will not live in fear. I will not allow that spirit to have its way with me. I will live by faith. Father, give me big dreams. Give me big plans. Help me to be bold. Help me to make big moves for you to do what I can where I am with what I have, knowing that you have already met every need. Say this, I have no lack. Say that again. I have no lack. I have no lack. For my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand. Give him a hand. Good. Now, here's what I just did. I led you in a prayer that all you did is declare back to God what he's already said. You need the word of God in your heart. You need to be in the word of God, in the Bible, listening to it, in the app reading real pages, however you do it, do it. Get the word in you. There's an amazing thing you can do uh, called Google searching. You can literally, if you have the right type of phone, say, hey Siri, give me 10 verses on fear. Give me 10 Bible verses on, uh, on, on uh, uh, whatever provision. Give me 10 Bible verses on anxiety, on, on God coming through for me. You can instantly at your fingertips and you take those and you put them on your mirror you put them in your face you bookmark them you put them somewhere and you declare them to God he already said them you say what he says and you throw that stuff at the enemy's face and don't allow the devil to trash talk you and you agree with him you've got to fight with the word of God that's how you fight That's that's how you defeat fear is you take God's word and you declare it right back to him you're praying God's word. It's one of the most important things that you do. Any, situa- any situation you're dealing with, relationship problems, business problems, finances, your kids, that you can literally just talk to your phone and find as many verses as you need just like that and then put them to work. Amen? I'm going to encourage you with all my heart to do that. Encourage you with all my heart. Super We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening and have a great week.